Welcome back to Episode 2 of Power of the Patient. In Episode 1, we introduced the series by saying this is the best year ever to get sick, yet sometimes the system falls short of its potential. I said this podcast will be about helping healthcare achieve its potential by supporting and improving your power, the power of the patient. My guest today is Larry Fagan, someone whose life paralleled mine in several ways, but who I only met a few years ago when he became sick. We went to the same school a year apart, and he's been a longtime colleague in health IT of my doctor, Danny Sands, who I mentioned in episode one. He's a health researcher, well-educated guy with an MD degree and a lifetime of experience in science. And yet, right at the outset of our interview, he confirms my point that no matter how good your education, when you become the one with the problem, you see things differently. He says, it wasn't really until I was a patient that I understood a little bit more about what information is really needed to make sure that the conversation with providers works well. What a perfect argument for why you might want to learn to be a more effective partner with your healthcare providers. That's why I'm so happy that Larry agreed to be my first guest, because again, the context for this whole podcast project is to help healthcare achieve its potential by supporting and improving your power, the power of the patient. We'll be right back with today's episode after this word from our sponsor. For most consumers, the search for a healthcare provider is a frustrating maze of bewildering choices and unanswered questions. And they really want to hear what other patients have to say in order to make a decision with confidence. With Loyal's Empower Solution, you have the tools to do just that. Empower your patients, the patient, and provide a solution. Maximizing star ratings while introducing deeper insights into what patients really are saying about their experience. You could sort, approve, and publish patient reviews of physicians, services, and even practices using some of the intelligent features like auto-approval and syntax highlighting. To learn more, visit them online at loyalhealth.com. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, Larry Fagan, who is an e-patient like me. We first met when he contacted me online to learn more about what I had been doing. Larry? Thanks, Dave. My background is that I've been involved in the use of information in medicine for more than four decades. Uh, But it wasn't until I was a patient with severe medical problems that I understood a little bit more about what information is really needed to make sure that the conversation with providers works well. And so I contacted Dave uh, to find out more about what he's learned about that topic. So Larry, as you and I have discussed, the context for all this, the goal of all this is to understand what we can do as patients to help our providers work with them as partners to get the best possible care when there's a problem that needs to be dealt with. So what's a good place to start? What's a a single, maybe one of the most important things to know? I think it's really important that patients start to understand what is the medical decision-making process that the provider is going through. So there's a set of steps that they're trying to put your uh, medical situation into so that they can come up with the best treatment. And those steps include collecting the symptoms that you describe, 
maybe doing some test results, or maybe this whole thing started because you had a, a test result that was out of range that was unexpected. And they're trying to create a list of possible diagnoses uh, out of that. What are the conditions that might be causing these symptoms? And which one of these is most likely? They then have to figure out which of those choices is the one that they're going to try to treat. So they might do more testing in order to figure out which ones they want to concentrate on, which, which diseases they want to concentrate on. And then for each of those diseases, there may be many different ways to treat it. And so they have to determine which treatment they want to pick in consult with you and then monitor to see if there are side effects that are keeping the treatment from being effective in your particular case. So, you know, these steps are even much more detailed than I described, but the whole idea is to understand what is the pattern that the provider is trying to understand, because then you can give the information in a more useful way. For example, when they ask for a symptom, providers are trained to find out where did it start? What part of the body does it start? When did it start? What made it better? What made it worse? Did it move from one part of your body to another? And so there's a whole pattern that if you understand, you can give that information to them in a very concise way. Ah, great. That's good. Because I was going to ask, why is it important for me to know what they're going to be doing when they do their job? But you just answered that. It, you know, If I understand better what they're looking for, and how they're thinking, that then I can be a more effective communicator and the odds of our getting the job done the best way possible in the length of our appointment has got to improve. Do I understand correctly? That's right. It's, it's funny. He said, there's a book on this subject called How Doctors Think, that, that written by Jerome Groupman, who's a, actually a colleague in the same clinic as my own doctor. And what you said just reminded me of that. So now that I'm prepared for the visit and I understand what they're going to be looking for, what do you think is another thing that would be really useful for patients to understand and do that most people don't do? Well, I think it's important to try to learn more about the disease itself, both the symptoms and the various variations in the disease, but I think it's also important to understand what the treatment options are, even though that's something that the provider may lay out for you anyway. And there are some good places to get started. For example, health libraries that are associated with almost every major medical center will help you find articles. They may be able to help you translate from the technical language to the lay language or point to lay materials like Medline Plus, that's an online resource by the National Library of Medicine. So you need to try to understand both the disease, but also what treatment options are currently available, which ones are in progress or about to become available. It was interesting that for my uh, medical problem, that the treatment option that was selected had only been really understood well at a conference that happened two weeks before my treatment started. Wow, good timing. Yeah. So as and as treatment progresses, you're going to want to know more about the side effects and how to counteract these side effects. And that's also in these online resources or through the medical libraries. So this makes sense if I'm motivated to do that. But 
why would I go out of my way to do that? I mean, most people expect that if there's anything I need to know, they'll tell me. I mean, that's their job, right? Why do you recommend that patients should take proactive action? Well, I think it it depends on what the medical problem you have is. For example, I have a relatively rare uh, medical problem, and so not all of the providers are familiar with the, the treatment choices. Many times, there's some disagreement in the field about which treatment choice is best. Uh, uh, so, you know, if you went to five doctors, you might get five choices. So you need to understand what trade-offs they're considering when they're presenting these to you. I mean, they may be thinking, well, this patient's older or this patient's weaker, so I'm going to give a treatment that may be not as aggressive. And they're making decisions about what they think might be the best treatment. But if you knew about the other treatments, you could say, well, what about this one? Is that appropriate in my situation? Ah, great. Okay, so I could actually, uh, I could enrich the conversation and expand it. I've heard a lot of people express concern that doctors will be insulted if you bring up other things that they haven't brought up. What are your thoughts about that? I I think people's attitude is changing. But I mean, if you walk in with a thousand page printout and you want them to read that, it's not going to happen. I think if you know that there are two or three choices and you know a little bit about each of those choices, then that would be useful. For example, in the cancers, there are national organizations like the NCCN, which do a patient-oriented write-up that say, here are the medical choices that most people are being given. And if you know what those choices are in general, that's going to really help you in this conversation. Ah, that's a great tip. So I will put links to things like the Mayo Clinic website, which is one that I use a lot, and NCCN in the show notes on the webpage for this episode. So, Larry, we've talked about how you, like me, have been involved in an online group. In fact, if I recall correctly, you actually help manage one. Can you tell us more about why you do that and what value it brings? Happy to. So I think that uh, joining an online group is extremely important. Even though I have a medical background and technical background, I've learned a lot uh, about the disease Uh, about the symptoms, about the side effects, treatment choices from participating in a group. And, and as you said, I found out about it from you originally and, and uh, very much appreciate how this adds to your ability to help in the conversation with uh, providers. For example, in my group, I learned that one of the longer term side effects of one of the medicines can lead to chronic sinus infections and that there's a special test that looks at your immunological status and will tell you if you need your immunoglobulin IV or injections to replace those components of your immune system that have been reduced. And no provider ever mentioned that to me. And yet many patients come in and say, oh, and it's not nothing to do with my disease, but I'm having these sinus infections. And then people say, but you don't know about this pattern that shows up commonly. And so realizing patterns that show up among many different patients is an important part of what we get out of the group. To me, this is really fascinating because in my case, 
I was saved by the best of medicine. And in my imagination, before I learned anything about this, I imagined, you know, these people are doctors and scientific researchers. They know what needs to be known. So it was astounding. I had a similar experience. I mean, the side effects of the drug that I got sometimes kill people. And yet, when I asked my oncologists, how do I prepare for this? They said, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked us that. And so I turned to the patient community and I got advice that they think the doctors now think helped save my life. And so in a way, it's exhilarating to me to think that maybe there's something little old me can do that will help. But on the other hand, I'm pretty much scared to death of not wanting to like insult the physicians. What are your thoughts on that? No, I th- I think that the perspective has changed about what information the patient's going to bring to the table. I think that if you've read the material and and can bring a little bit of that, but not too much of it to the mm-hmm. uh, short period of time that you're talking to the provider, I think that it can make a difference. It certainly has done that with me. I think that it's important that you don't try to tell them what to do, but you can say, you know, what about this? I read about this. It sounds like it's in a similar situation. Have you had any experience with that treatment? Or have you had patients who experienced this side effect? Or what do you do if this situation comes up? Very good. Very good. The, the perspective of informing yourself, but that doesn't mean you're trying to tell them what to do. Exactly. My philosophy on this was they're the ones with the advanced degree and incredible training and clinical experience, but that doesn't mean I have nothing that I could bring to the table. Hey, everybody, this is Reed Smith. And this is Chris Boyer. And we are co-hosts on a show called Touchpoint, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, not only for just hospitals, but health systems and physician practices. In every episode, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and other things that are impacting the healthcare industry today. And while you listen to this show, we would certainly love you to check out ours. All you have to do is swing on over to touchpoint.health for more information, and also some of the other shows that are featured on the Touchpoint Media Network. There's an important obstacle here, though, and I wonder what advice you'd have for people on this. The reality is, I don't know if people realize it, but there are idiots on the internet. So how do you, how do you tell whether you found a good patient community or a bunch of bozos? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a tough problem. I mean, whenever I make a comment on the, uh, inside the online community, I always attach uh, a reference to an article. It can be a lay article, but that is, has some sources of information and, one of the places that uh, often causes the most discord on the group is when someone says, you know, you've got to try alternative medications and then people start complaining. And it's one of those areas that I know the board is going to fall apart if we don't intervene sometimes. And obviously some alternative medications are, are very reasonable, but it's something that needs to be kind of done in context and with the whatever scientific support there is. What else did you find valuable as a result of being a member of this community? There's something else that happens in these groups that's beyond the technical 
part that I concentrate on and that there are is an opportunity for people who've experienced this to give comfort to people who are coming in and are scared or worried about the treatment. There's ways to talk about the different experiences they've had and different paths they've taken. And so there really is a community that gets built that goes way beyond just talking about what drugs are possible and what side effects people have. I learned about whole new testing, uh, diagnostic testing methods that have very much changed my treatment in the course of that conversation because it just kept coming up. And I said, well, why am I not hearing about this any other way? I'm glad you brought that up. In addition to the emotional support, I mean, I can't say enough about, and it's funny because I try to think relatively rationally and scientifically, but I don't have a rational explanation for how important it was to my sense of hope that here I was talking to people who got this diagnosis 10 years ago, and they're still alive and online and everything. And said, if you just gave me the fact that there's somebody that that happened to, somehow it's just not the same as being in conversation with those people. I'll never forget Norman Cousins, the 1960s magazine editor who was dying of some stomach condition. And he decided as long as he was dying, he was going to laugh his butt off. So he rented a movie projector. These days, we just go on Netflix. But he watched every Marx Brothers movie and laughed so much that he got better. And today, we have a scientific field of PNI, psychoneuroimmunology. We have an explanation for how that worked. And I guess my feeling is when everything is on the line and you've tried everything and the odds still don't look good, who's going to tell me not to use emotional support or anything else to try to improve my odds? I will say that there are two communities of communities that I have found to be pretty consistently valuable. One is smartpatients.com, which is where a lot of the ACOR communities have gone. And within that, I'd, I'd add, so I'd say smart patients and ACOR. The other one that a number of my friends have used for other diseases is inspire.com. Do you know of any others? There are some that are more specific for individual diseases, like the Lymphoma Society. Great. Uh, um, Facebook web pages that are specific for individual diseases. Some of those are closed groups, so you have to find someone to tell you about it. But those are also are active in some areas. One of the things I, I will do if someone contacts me is try to join the groups for a while to see if there's actually a good conversation going on, because I've seen some where the group is basically not functional. And to take someone who's already agitated and concerned and connect them up to a non-functional group doesn't really help at all. Excellent. Yes, that's what we used to call lurking, right? You join the group and watch for a while to see how they act and interact before you decide to make yourself known, right? Right. So, Larry, thank you very much. This is great advice, and it's, it's great to hear it coming from somebody else, not just my own opinion. So to sum up, the three takeaways that people can think about are, number one, it's helpful to understand more about the medical decision-making process that the care team will be going through. It's helpful to learn more about the disease itself, including its treatment options, and find out more information about all sorts of things, scientific, emotional, peer support, and everything else by finding and joining a good online group. 
So there you have it. Episode 2 is in the books. We hope you've enjoyed it and that today's episode will help you continue to see that it really can be valuable to learn how to increase your power to become empowered and engaged in your healthcare and e-patient. In coming episodes, you'll meet many of the people, both patients and professionals, who are walking the talk of this new approach to health and care, where the patient and family are actively involved and are welcomed by clinicians into the new era of the power of the patient. This show is made possible in part by the Social Health Institute. Through research and partnerships with healthcare organizations around the country, the Social Health Institute explores new and innovative ways for hospitals and healthcare organizations to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategy. To learn more about the Social Health Institute, visit them online at socialhealthinstitute.com. That's socialhealthinstitute.com. I hope you'll come back and bring friends and do that thing that's so important to all podcasters. Rate us on iTunes and everywhere else because that boosts whether we show up high when people search for health podcasts. I'm very frank about my purpose in doing this. I just want to change the world in ways that matter to you, the health consumer, the person who has the needs for which the whole industry exists. So please let us know who you'd like to have on, what topics you'd like to hear about, anything. Remember, the World Bank says empowerment is increasing people's capacity to make choices about what they want and take effective action. This podcast really will be about helping healthcare achieve its potential by supporting and improving your power, the power of the patient. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.